right, hello and welcome to another episode of the Long Ball Football Podcast, a weekly podcast by two brothers about all things football in Portugal. You're listening to myself, Albert, and as always, I'm joined by my brother, Barney. How are you doing, Barney? How's your week been? Uh, yeah, man, it's been good. It's been all right. No, I'm just desperately trying not to get coronavirus. That's that's my main aim this week. Because <laughs> <laughs> my mum and dad are coming up for my birthday at the weekend and, and I haven't seen them for ages because when we were due to meet each other last time, uh, coronavirus got in the way in there. So yeah, I'm doing everything I can. I'm I'm overloading everything. Um, vitamin D, double masks. <laughs> Go full Joe Rogan. <laughs> good. Yeah, not quite, but yeah. But yeah. I'm good otherwise. How are you? Yeah, good, man. Very good. I had an away day at the weekend. I was in Northampton. Oh, yes. It was uh, it was awful. It was yeah, dreadful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I went on my first away day of the season to go and watch Leighton Orient play in Northampton, which is a town in the Midlands, about an hour and a half away. It was freezing cold. Okay, so it was one degrees with wind, felt like minus seven. Sitting yeah. still outside for ninety minutes, you could. There was like little bits of snow like coming onto us. Um, we lost <laughs> and played <laughs> awfully, and I pretty much gave myself food poisoning from this burger that I ate. Which was, I went up to order this burger, right? And I ordered it, and they just handed me this thing already made in a tin foil wrapper. Oh, so they hadn't even like pretended to cook it fresh. Sit in there, <laughs> and then I I bite into this burger. I can see on the inside it's looking grey, and I just look at it thinking, I'm so hungry and so cold. I've just got to eat this. So, <laughs> so yeah, not a great, not a great day. Really made me wonder, like, why, why bother doing stuff like that? Because I paid quite a lot. Uh, and this does relate to Portuguese football a bit. I paid quite a lot to, to go to this game, right? So this might be of interest to any of our listeners. Uh, I paid £22 for a match day ticket to watch yeah. Leighton versus Northampton in the fourth division in England. Just to compare that with the prices in Portugal, um, I paid €15 Euros for the last Champions League match that I watched in Portugal. So, you know, I know a lot of people think that Portuguese... Ticket prices are quite high, but let me tell you, it could be a lot, a lot worse. Well, look, there's a lot to talk about this week, Barney, and we do have to start um, with the biggest story of the weekend, one of the biggest stories in, in recent times, I think possibly one of the biggest stories that we've covered while doing the podcast. Um, I'm sure everyone knows what I'm talking about, uh, but if you somehow missed the events on Saturday night, you'll be, maybe won't be aware that BSAD played against Benfica with only nine players on the field, two of which were goalkeepers. Um, if you're not aware of this bizarre situation, there had been a lot of speculation for at least one day prior to the match uh, because of a very high number of COVID-19 cases, reportedly around 15 in the B-side squad. And there were rumours that they weren't going to be able to field 11 players for their game. Before the match, the day before, the B-side president, Rui Pedro Suarez, came out and said he wouldn't ask for the game to be postponed. Cut to the next day, an hour and a half before kickoff, with Benfica fans already arriving in the stadium, and no one has a clue whether the game's going to go ahead. It was only an hour before kickoff where it was announced that they would play, but B-side would only have nine outfield players, most of them reserves. And as I said, two of them goalkeepers, they played the first 45 minutes with Benfica going 7-0 ahead. <laughs> um, initially, it looked like B-side wouldn't come out for the second half. They did in the end, but with only seven players, with one player supposedly going down injured just seconds into the second half. Uh, and with no subs, that meant the game got abandoned by the referee. Now, understandably, there was 
furore on Twitter afterwards, including from myself, I have to admit, Twitter was going crazy with lots of different viewpoints flying around, lots of opinions, lots of people uh, accusing the league of incompetence, a lot of people putting accusations towards B-side for the way they handled the situation. For me, I'll be open. I think the fault of the situation lies with the league and how they handle situations like this. But go on, Barney, because I haven't actually really spoken to you much about this. What did you What did you make when you kind of all heard about what was happening? First of all, I just had the thought we should have um, just completely analysed this game straight, not even mentioned the situation. So we give them like, <laughs> you know, at the end of the day, B said they only played nine players. That's where it went wrong for them. <laughs> <laughs> well, you say that as a joke, but there were some Portuguese newspapers the day later who were running stories like Benfica record biggest first half result. it was ridiculous honestly <laughs> well I think they've got the record now for the, the most goals in a single half haven't they in the league or something like that the thing for me Albert was that you know we started to see international press you know mm. everyone in England BBC Sports on the main page uh, Sky Sports yeah. it's just such a bad image it's an absolute it's atrocious because like we, we you know you went to a, a tier 4 game in England this week there's no way we would see this shit even in a yeah. couple of leagues below, this this Absolutely. wouldn't be happening. It was an absolute shambles, and and yeah, you're totally right to point that out. I think it's important as well because, as you say, a lot of accusations were flying around. There's very little that we do know happened behind the scenes, but there has been a couple of statements made since. Uh, Rui Pedro Suarez, the Beepside president, did actually come out after the game and kind of change his story a bit. Mm. He said. Oh, actually, I did ask for the postponement, but I think that was maybe only a couple of hours before the game was meant to start. Um, League of Portugal did come out in the end uh, and put out a statement pretty much trying to shift the blame from themselves, saying they did whatever they could. Some people online were saying that B-Sad could have put a team out. Do they not have a B team? Do they not have a youth team? But my issue there is I feel like perhaps you have to register players in the league before you, you can play them. But we can speculate about all these things. But the point here is that this type of situation should never have been allowed to happen by the league. You know, we see we saw this situation multiple times last year. Was it Nacional uh, when Benfica had the cases and they mm-hmm. asked to postpone the game? They had to ask the other club to agree and Nacional said no, right? And in, in that situation, this is a decision that never, ever should have been made by the clubs. This is leadership that needs to come from the top. There needs to be a rule in place. How difficult can it be to come up with a rule that says if you have X, Y, Z amount, you know, amount of cases in your squad, confirmed cases, then the game gets postponed. And maybe that won't be the rule. Maybe the rule will be that the team with the cases forfeits the game 3-0. To be totally honest, I don't really care what the rule is, but the point is that there should be a rule that is imposed on these clubs by the league coming from the top down. Because at the moment, the league's taking no responsibility for anything. They're basically just sitting back going, you guys sort it out, sort it out amongst yourselves. I agree, I agree with you on that, but on that point about the fact that the clubs are sort of deciding whether to play the game or not, do you think we can level any criticism towards Benfica for this? Well, I know some of our Benfica fan listeners might be a little bit annoyed to hear you say that. I know that you're just playing devil's advocate with that suggestion. And, and my answer mm. is that absolutely no there shouldn't be any criticism leveled in Benfica because this situation has got nothing to do with them. It's not their squad that's got the cases. It's not their fault that the game has not been postponed. And, you know, fair play to the players because when they line up <laughs> against nine men, most of them reserves and, and, and an extra goalkeeper, what the hell are they supposed to do? Well, they tried their best to play the game professionally. They, they scored their seven goals. 
Um, I'm sure <laughs> somewhere Rich and Darwin were probably a little bit gutted when it got called off in the second half because they would have been looking at this thinking top scorers this season's up for grabs oh I hope they've got goal bonuses in their contract <laughs> <laughs> there's 10 grand there's 10 grand <laughs> no but look, genuinely uh, absolutely I don't think you can criticise Ben Figo in any way I also don't think you should really criticise B-Side I know they didn't do everything perfectly and I know I don't like their president at all um, I don't like the comments he's made before about Morons and stuff like that but even still if I'm being honest I don't think we really should criticise them because and I'll just reiterate the point this isn't something that they should have been dealing with they should have just reported these cases the league should have gone right that's 15 cases we'll postpone the game do whatever they want to do but it should have come from the league and I think the other thing on that Alex, is that um, to my understanding the outbreak has sort of stemmed from a, I think a couple of the South African players have come back from and, and potentially brought over this new variant as well um, yeah, there's there's nothing to say Benfica players couldn't have caught something from from these interactions with these players from the squad so that that's a scary thing and so once again this needs to be on the league to protect their players to protect the the fixture list which it's just it's just disastrous well fortunately I did see news today that no Benfica players have tested positive since the game so of course that is a great relief considering the serious situation that uh, that they could be in and and just to to round this discussion up Barney um to go back to what you said about this kind of bringing the Portuguese game into disrepute in the international press to me that's one of the biggest shames because as you mentioned front page of the BBC uh, it was on all kinds of Twitter meme pages people making fun of the situation it was uh, on the back page of Marco in Spain, I think. So, you know, these are huge publications covering this controversy. And, you know, we've only done this podcast for a season and a half now. We've only, you know, we've got a relatively small audience. The people that I feel sorry for are people like uh, Tom Conda, people like Possima Jornada, who've spent, you know, such a long time dedicating their free time, their expertise, their skills to promoting this game to an international audience. And then you get a situation like this, which just embarrasses everyone involved. I've got one positive from this whole debacle you know with B said having like two less players on the pitch there potentially was a situation where there was um finally more fans in the ground than, than people on the pitch or <laughs> 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 look let's move on for this whole situation because it's a very negative conversation and the thing that I said on Twitter the next day was that there's still so much to enjoy about Portuguese football and before we were recording me and Barney were just saying how many great games there were this weekend, how many great moments, great goals, dramatic score lines. So we're going to do our best to cover a lot of those in the upcoming episode. And we're going to start, Barney, with Porto 2, Vittoria 1. And we called it last weekend as the most obvious candidate for Game of the Week. And it certainly lived up to that tagline. 2-1 to Porto in the Dragao. Uh, there were so many important moments in the game, Barney. It's hard to cover them all. I'm going to attempt to outline the game for anyone who didn't catch it. The first 30 minutes of the game were fantastic football, I thought, really end-to-end. Quite even, which I was quite pleased to see. Both teams had chances to score. Uh, Duarte, the victorious striker, had the first goal-scoring chance inside five minutes. And then Luis Diaz could have even scored into a a pretty much open goal. Rochinha, of course, had that incredible shot from outside the box. It was really end-to-end stuff, but the drama started about half an hour in where Marcus Edwards does so well, first to win and then dispatch a penalty, which you have to say was probably slightly against the runner play, but a fantastic well-taken penalty in the end and a goal that really lit a fire under the game because the rest of that second half, we had Luis Diaz with that absolute screamer 
a few minutes later, we're going to come on to that. Uh, and then in the last five minutes of the half, yellow cards for both teams, including for Moomin, importantly. He then scores that clumsy own goal, which is then ruled out by VAR. And this is all inside 45 minutes. The second half, defined by Moomin's second yellow, which got him sent off uh, and allowed Porto to kind of take more control of the game, get that second goal for Evan Nilsson. Um, and I'm sure we'll come on to it, but... Victoria, for me, Barney, was still even very impressive with 10 men. So, so much drama in one game, so much to talk about. I'll let you kick it off. Where do you want to start? Well, shall we start with the, the first goal scores, Victoria? I think um, I think this is the first time in, in over two years that Marcus Edwards has scored in consecutive games. So I thought that was that was good to see. I thought it was a really quality penalty he put away. And like you said, you know, that that's that, that's his strength, isn't it? The way he he just got past Sanusi, drew, drew the foul. It, that, that, that's fantastic. I think the, the thing I had, Albert, though, is that I thought this was a really interesting Victoria eleven. You know, I, I don't think we've seen this that midfield before the Mahandel, Janvier, and Almeida. And then obviously the back four, there's the Amaro coming in and then and um, João Ferreira, uh, the right back on loan from Benfica, who looked, I thought was it was pretty good. Mm. I just don't know. You gave him a lot of praise in that um, description of the game, but I thought it was it was a brave eleven that Pepper went with, and I, I, I I'm not quite sure it was the right one. Although, like you said, they they had their moments for sure. I really really enjoyed this Victoria performance, even though it wasn't perfect. And despite this loss, it might sound strange to say, but I thought this was their best performance of the season so far because I thought they played with a kind of positivity and attacking intent that has been so missing from their performances for so long. And possibly, Barney, because that comes with confidence, having that belief in yourself to go out and play your football, even when you're up against a tough opponent, even when you're a man down, even when you're a goal down, perhaps. So, you know, what I really loved was, even after going down to 10 men, was Pepper's tactics, which I thought were brilliant. Not being afraid. He lined up with an almost 3-3-3 formation, right? He kept those three up front, which was so important trying to get forward whenever they could. And I thought, you know, we say it every time we talk about them, Barney, but it was just another great game from Edwards and Machinia. And they showed why they are by far the two best footballers at that club. They are head and shoulders above the rest of the team. I thought Edwards had an excellent game, created some good chances uh, and, of course, scored the penalty. Machinia had his own chances, didn't get on the score sheet, and it was a shame to see him go off early, but did make a good impact. And the thing that I liked about the Vittori performance was that it wasn't perfect, but they made the best out of the squad that they had. Let's take an example for me, Duarte Barney. Missed that golden chance five minutes in. But that's kind of just the level of striker that they have. And at least they made the chance. That type of issue is the type of issue you can't fix on the pitch. You kind of have to fix it in the transfer market, right? Picking up a better striker. And even at the back, the young kid that you mentioned, Ralph Ferreira, had an excellent game, looked excellent. But He's still young and he was beaten too easily for that Luis Diaz goal, if we're being honest. So what you're seeing here is a team with weaknesses. It's a flawed team. It's by no means perfect. But the message from Pepper and the mindset that he's instilling into this team is to always try and play positively, always try and do the right thing and always play football the way that he wants them to play. And they're never going to have a flawless game. But I'm pleased that Pepper's instilling that mindset into them because if they play that way, with that fearlessness and that confidence against lesser teams in this league, I think they'll have a very successful season. You know, you, you touched it there, the fact that he made those choices in Jean-Vier and Handel and Almeida, who, to be fair, hasn't really been given that much of a yeah. chance since the start of the season. So those are all on the ball, you know, much better than Semedo, arguably maybe maybe better than um, Andre Andre. I think mm. I, I'm glad Amaro got his game, but, but what I think is quite damning is that the fact that the young kids coming in 
alongside Moomin and how much of a more calm, uh, solid defender he looked. I mean, I read that Moomin is the Phil Jones of this league, isn't it? He's just like, he's becoming a bit of a, a bit of a joke, and I, I know I don't I always point him out and I have a laugh. I think it was just a bit too. It looks like he tries a bit too much, I think. And I, that, mm. that, that, that's my criticism. I think, I don't know, it seems Pepper's still trusting in him. I think um, I'd like to see more of Amaro. Like I mentioned, I thought he, he, he looks a bit more composed and the moving. But yeah, there's positives here. You mentioned Duarte. He wouldn't have been my first put choice on paper, but what we've seen in more recent games is he, he's, it, like you mentioned, he's, he seems to be a bit better at getting behind defenders, a bit more pace and uh, stupid and, and and that's working well with that uh, the other two wingers Rashini and Edwards because they they have the, the pace that they're bringing into the attack you know it just makes them play a bit faster I think um, the only other thing I had to say was Varela and goal you know they really missed him the start of the season I think that was a, that became evident and since he's come back he's, he's he's looked brilliant well he's got leadership qualities I have to say when Tremel came in I, I wondered whether Varela would get his place back, but he look, he's looked decent and, 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 you know, he's a senior figure in that team. So I think it is important to have a player like that playing. The last thing for me on Vittorio Barney before we talk about Porto was um, was Ricardo Correggio. And, you know, on a personal level, it's quite difficult to watch this guy who has been such a hero of mine for so many years kind of fading into this player who's really not got much to offer at all because it was a real shame when he came on. I think they lost a real dynamism down the wing. You know, Rashinha had to go off and I thought Lameris was a, a logical substitution. And then Kuroesma comes on and they go with the three, Edwards down the middle. And I liked Edwards down the middle, but yeah, you just lost so much when Kuroesma came on. He, of course, offers a lot from set pieces, from dead balls, his delivery, uh, leadership. Of course, these are all valuable things, but I think in the way that Pepper wants to play, I'm not surprised at all that. Uh, he he's not really getting the minutes that the other the other players are getting. So I saw the picture doing around on Twitter of um him embracing Luis Diaz almost as if he's passing on like right you're the number seven in this league. Now. Yes. <laughs> well let's talk about Luis Diaz Barney. That's a good link because if we didn't make it clear already, Luis Diaz goal was absolutely outstanding. And if you haven't seen it, please go back and watch the highlights. Go onto Porto's page and find uh, the angle where they show from behind of his goal. Absolutely phenomenal. We've tweeted that out if you want to go and check it out. Absolutely fantastic goal. What do you make of the way Porto played? Because I think they dealt with the situation very well. It could have been a very tricky game. They came up against a team uh, probably playing better than they expected. uh, And they could have let themselves be surprised, be shocked, kind of not got into the game. But they managed the situation well. They got the two goals that they needed. If we're being honest, they probably could have had three. Um, I think there were enough chances in the game for them to get that extra goal. But it was a very solid win and I think quite a pleasing performance given the circumstances. I think that's 71% possession. You know, I think there was there was no doubt in this game. They, they, they complete control. They won this obviously an immense run of form. I think they're 40 games unbeaten in the league now. Um, I think the record in the league is, is 56, I think Benfica have, and um, Porto had a record of 54, something like that. But what I like is, you know, this was once again a, a, a different combination of players. Yeah, Cardozo coming in at the back, Uribe and Sergio Olivier. I don't, I don't know if we've seen them starting together uh, this season, and it just shows that this winning. You know, unbeaten mentality is now throughout the squad, and, and Contrashal trusts his team. And I think you know they have had a few stutters in the Champions League, and, but that hasn't knocked their confidence. They, they're still coming back at the weekend and just absolutely dump, you know, putting in these frightening performances. And it's it's just so good to see. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think the only downside to that squad rotation is that I'm sure some Porto fans are a bit unhappy that players like Vitinho are not getting more minutes because you know he's been so impressive this season, yet he doesn't 
always get the nod for the start from from Sergio Conceição, which personally I find a bit strange. Although I don't disagree that Sergio Oliveira is a fantastic football player, and, and you know maybe there's a tactical reason why he starts ahead of ahead of Vitinha. And you mentioned Cardozo, Barney. I was quite pleased to see him come in and and do pretty well because um, I feel like when he made when he made his first appearances before he had some difficult games. I think maybe he played in the Champions League, if I remember correctly, when Porto didn't do too well. So I was pleased for him to come in because I know he might not be a Porto fan favourite, but um, I, I did like him last year at Santa Clara and I would like him to do to do well. Yeah, that was good to see. And then I feel like I've mentioned him quite a lot recently, but Evan Nilsson, you know, it, it, he's really is replaying, repaying the faith. You know, Conchita has shown in it with a, another great performance. I think me and you, I think we have thought um, Tony Martinez was was the dead cert to be starting alongside Tony, but Evan Nilsson, you know, he's come through the ranks. I think I forget that he played for Porto B for, for a short time and he's just, yeah, he's, he's becoming this real exciting, it, it just causes a lot a lot of problems and that that really works well for Tony and, you know, and Diaz, if, if Evan Nilsson's getting about disrupting that back four it just works so well another one who's been fantastic to see growing to this team this season definitely well it kept Porto in winning ways and maintained their position at the top of the table where they're currently joint with the next team we're going to talk about of course Sporting who also got a win at the weekend a comfortable 2-0 win for them against mid-table as Tondela Sarabia opened the scoring before Paulinho got himself back on the score sheet to make it 2-0. Pedro Gonçalves set him up with a tap-in that he almost, almost managed to miss, but he did bundle it in to end something of a goal drought that he's been on recently. It was quite funny watching that goal, Barney, because he almost looked embarrassed after scoring it. He gave all the credit to Gonçalves in in the celebration, and I think when you watch, he's not expecting the pass at all, because Gonzalez is dead cert to score and he just kind of lays it off. Paulino doesn't really expect it, but manages to toe poke it in. I think to, yeah, to be fair to Paulino, I think Gonzalez did, did make it a little bit difficult to wet the way. <laughs> well, I don't it. think I don't think he was expecting it. I don't <laughs> think anyone watching was expecting it. No. Yeah, it's great he got his goal. You know, all you need to do is watch the highlights of this game on YouTube and you think Paulino really showed how he's not just here to be a goal scorer. He was offering so much, creating so many chances, lovely little um, you know, hit around the box and just bringing players into the game. I've said it before, but yeah, I just thought this was a prime example in this game of, of his ability in that in that respect. I think this is now like um, their fourth clean sheet in a row in the league, if, if that's right. And, you know, that just shows like, it does keep seeming like there's, there's not much to say about sports. Thing. We said this last, <laughs> last time, but like there, there really is something so impressive with how comfortable, how unshakable they seem to be at the moment. I think there was that one chance John Maria had where he got the better of Inacio and laid it off, cut it back. And, I, and that was, that was like a real moment for them today. But apart from that, you know, this is a, this is a rock solid, rock solid defence. Well, well, I did want to, I did want to address some of the things we said about sporting recently. I think, I think it was me that suggested that perhaps they were getting boring. Um, <laughs> and I do, I do slightly, Slightly regret saying that because my point was just simply that they seem to win every week, 1-0, 2-0, very confidently. They were going about their business, winning games without any real issues. And we were struggling to come up with talking points uh, to discuss their games because they were there wasn't really much drama. It was a very kind of calm performances mm. every week, which is fantastic in itself. And we should mention, of course, Barney, that, you know, it's the I know by the time this podcast goes out, it would be old news, but it's the first time, first chance we've had to, Discuss it on the pod, of course. Sporting getting through the Champions League with that fantastic 3-0 win 
over Borussia Dortmund, you know, the first Portuguese club to qualify for the Champions League knockouts. It is just worth reiterating what a phenomenal achievement it is for sports. And I think if you look at where they were two seasons ago, uh, and compare that to now where they're national champions in the knockouts of the Champions League. It's fantastic to think how far they've come under Ruben Amarim. And look, they're still unbeaten in the league this season. They're doing fantastically well in Europe. They're joint top of the table. I was way too harsh on them when I said Stelborn because they are having a fantastic season. And I'm sure for the fans, they're delighted at the period that this club is going through at the moment. And you mentioned there, Amarin, he is the real deal. He really is the real deal. Like, you put it so well, like, look at the two years ago and look where they are now. I I, I have to be honest, well, I, I didn't feel, after their first Champions League, I was like, no, there's, this is a step too far. But yeah. boy, boy, how wrong was that to think? He's doing all this. He's He's got a built a really solid team. He's doing it on the big stage in the Champions League. And then he's still bringing through Youth players like like Nazinho got his got on in this game like a, an exciting new left back you know he, he, I think we could see a lot more from him it's fairy tale stuff it's just it's so good yeah I, I I'm I've seen Amaran's name rumored with the Manu job you know long term that's the stage he's getting to now he's 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 really proven himself he's definitely getting into that that world of the next big thing right mm. so you can imagine he's going to be. Uh, perennially linked with with kind of medium to big sized jobs as and when they come up around Europe really and you mentioned the young players I wish I had the list in front of me uh, but I don't but I do remember seeing in the week a list of the young players that Amarim's given his day given their debuts to for sporting while he's been the manager and the list was you know 10 or 15 names long so he's done a fantastic job bringing through uh, the youth players and he's done a fantastic job leading uh, sporting to the best position they've been in domestically and in Europe in many, many, many years. Well, I had one point about Tondeau, and that was a Trigueria, the goalkeeper, which I, you know, I think you put, made some really good saves. I just wrote down he has to be number one for Tondeau now. You know, he's got that battle with Babacan. I say about is this again. just another episode of your never-ending battle against Babacan? Yes, <laughs> you've got an agenda against this guy, Barney. Well, what's come out since <laughs> I, I wrote this point down is that um, Trigueria is the top keeper in the league who's played one of five games for most saves per game in the league. He's, he's okay. right out there. He's quality. So he's got to be number one ahead of Davakanese. But what's just come out the other day is that he's now been diagnosed. He's now got COVID. So like <laughs> Davakanese is back in at number one. <laughs> but that's, you know, that's sort of going back to the COVID chat we had earlier. That's a little worrying for, for sporting. You know, suddenly they've, they've come up against someone who's tested positive. Mm. He was shaking hands, you know. You know, so that could be a worry. That could be a worry. Another example of Babacan say slander on this podcast, yet again, from Barney. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's move a little bit further down the table, Barney. Let's talk about some of the games of the week from outside the big three and another game that we tipped for people to watch this week and another game that didn't disappoint although the scoreline was probably honestly not what I would have predicted, as Fam Cow lost 3-0 at home to Portimonense, despite, in all honesty, probably dominating the game. Fam Cow had almost four times as many shots as Portimonense. They were much more attacking, but crucially, couldn't convert any chances. And if I'm being honest, going forward, I didn't really count that many times the Portimonense goalkeeper was really tested. And Portimonense, on the other hand, much fewer chances but got three goals out of the game. So, you know, okay, maybe the first was a bit fortunate going in off a deflection from Pernetra, but the other two were very, very well-worked goals. And it was just one of them games where one team couldn't create the chances they needed and the other team took the chances that they got. 
Yeah, it was a it was a really interesting game. I I actually think Ivo Vieira fair bit of responsibility on him in, in this game. I thought there was some the, the one thing for me, you know, like you mentioned, they had fifty five percent possession. They they look they look pretty good. But Brazil and Pickle both taken off at half time. You know, players mm. that, that have impressed us recently. But, you know, think of the last game we saw Brazil playing in the league where he was absolutely ridiculous. But like you know, Brazil had seventeen touches in the first half. Is he had he barely got the ball, and so that decision to take him off, you know. I think he should try to bring him into the game, get a bit more, give him an opportunity because he really didn't have a chance. And I think that was quite a. I did say, you know, he wanted to win. He wanted to get their first home win of the season. And I think that that was too much in his head because, you know, those are. I think it was just a rash decision to to make those halftime changes and and then for them to not be right. It just looked like he was. And to be fair, they didn't get, they didn't get the team right at the beginning as well. So I don't know. It just didn't seem a, didn't seem Ivoire's best day at the office for me. Have they really not won at home all season? No, no, a lot of draws. That's incredible. I didn't know that at all. Like I said, I think that was in his mind. I think, you know, plus, you know, Simeon Banza, five shots, only one on target. He didn't have his shooting boots on, you know. It's one of the biggest cliches in football, Barney, but you've got to say it. Maybe it was just one of those days for, <laughs> for Family Cow, you know. And for Porto Menens, they took, as I said, they took the chances that they got very well. One player that I really liked from Porto Menens, Barney, uh, was Carlinhos. Number 76, another player who I've never really focused on before, but watching this game, I found that he really stood out. I like him as a player, uh, tall, strong midfielder, really pushed forward from midfield, uh, made things happen, which I like. Timed his run very well, good finish for the goal, which I, you know, really enjoyed. And he really impressed me. He's exactly the sort of player that I enjoy watching, you know, when he catches your eye that you've, that you've never really focused on before. I've recognised his name and I recognise his face. And then when I looked into his history, you know, he's one of these journeymen. He was at Bayer Leverkusen when he was 18 years old, you know, he's, he's and he's mm. been around, he's, I think he's played for Estral Pride, Vittorio Suitable, this has been in Belgium. But it, like you said, like, I think, I think traditionally he's an attacking midfielder, but playing that slightly deeper role and, and that ability to get forward. I think you got 90% pass actually, you know, four dribbles, which was the most by any play on the pitch, seven long balls, six accurate, just... I've got to be honest, like you said, I've never, I've never looked focused on him before. There's just these, so yeah, I think he's really good, and and seventy six is a lovely number. I don't know why it just feels it. It's, 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 that'd be a cool shirt. I also thought Albert Nakajima. He's really yeah. looking like a. Uh, he's really showing his quality for me. And that number ten role as well. I think that 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 suits him. And uh, yeah, it took it took him a little while to make his second debut, if you will. For, for Porto Menendez, but I feel like every game he plays now, he looks more comfortable, he looks better, he looks more like himself than we kind of expect him to be. So that's really pleasing to see. And then, of course, Elton Bermote getting the third goal. Good finish as well, good strong finish. Maybe the keeper should have done better, but great finish from him. And, and you know, Porto Menendez continue to do well, a team who've done well all season. They're kind of, maybe people didn't expect to see it, but... I mean, we've both said for a long time, the players that this team have got, the way they play football, there's no reason why they shouldn't be successful. And you say just a little while that, you know, maybe it's just one of those days. But I feel like Porto Menendez always seems to be giving a lot of teams those days in yeah. recent games. You know, they haven't got enough wins. They've definitely played teams I think they should, they should have beaten. But this was a good result and they need to get they need to get more of that. Well, crucially, Brian, it's a great result that keeps Porto Menendez in the top six. They're in fifth place and could be overtaken by Braga if they beat Vizela. But, you know, people are banging on about Estoril and Porto Menendez are only one place behind them in the table. So really fantastic. Well, let's talk about another game, Barney. Uh, and we have to talk about this fantastic game from the weekend. Morrowens to Gil Vicente to tucked away on Friday night. 
a little game I'm sure many people overlooked as one they could probably forget about, but it turned into a really exciting game of football. I'll come on to my game, my viewpoint in a second, but I'm going to let you go first, Barney, because I'm sure you're very eager to talk about that Samuelino goal. You must have been delighted for that. Oh, man, I, I'm not just not just his goal, but it's, once again, I think it was a man-on-match performance from him. I'm really excited about him, of course. I think a lot of people are starting to get really excited about him as well. He's been playing as a left winger mainly. You mentioned his goal. That That's his real, real strength, man. Like long-distance shots, maybe taken at a time you wouldn't expect him to shoot. Finding the bottom corner, always along the ground. I I think he's, I don't know if he's been better playing through the middle, although Fran Navarro's looked good in this game once again. But um, I don't know what you think, winger or a striker, but either way, he, he starts. He's, 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 he's on the hell of a form. Yeah, well, I, I love watching him running at defenders. So for me, it would be, you know, either behind the striker or on the wing, because I think that's where he does well, running at defenders. And as you say, scoring from outside the box. Uh, is a great skill. I thought it was a good performance from Jura Centre overall. And I think they will be the team most aggrieved not to get all three points from this fixture because, let's be honest, the penalty decision for Morrowind's first goal, oh. very soft. Uh, another one, we recommend you going back to watch the highlights of all these games, but make sure you look at that and let us know what you think because that was a very, very soft penalty decision. And Jura Centre did very well to get back into the game, take that well-deserved lead, I thought. And then, of course, they had it all undone by an absolute worldy free kick from Stephen Pretoria. Oh. The perfect free kick, yeah. I might add. Just outside the box, on the left side, perfect for a right footer. And he just curls it into the top corner. Keepers rooted to the spot. It's a fantastic goal. It's the type of free kick that just looks so easy and makes me think, oh, why, don't, why doesn't everyone just do that for free kicks? Because the goalkeeper couldn't do anything. He just puts it over the wall into the top corner. Simple and he's out. a centre-back. And, and he's a centre-back. Centre Fantastic. And I did really enjoy that. And as a neutral, it made the game really exciting. Even on balance, I do think Silver Centre were a better team. But um, good drama in the end. As I said, good drama. And, and it made for an exciting game and, and a well-deserved goal, you have to say. What I did in this game, I was I compared the, the two midfields, right? So Silver Centre went with Fujimoto, Pedrino and Vita Carvalho. And in every attack they had, at least two of those were bombing into the box. You know, they had so they got so many players forward. They were so quick getting forward as well, particularly Fujimoto. And that's one of the managerial moves of the season, taking him from a wing and putting him in the field. It's absolutely um, inspired. And, hmm. But anyway, the point I'm making is if you compare that to Morenza's um, midfield of Camara, Pacheco and Felipe Suarez. Yes, Suarez is, a, is quite a, you know, a, an attacking midfield, but the other two, Nowhere near as mobile, nowhere near as dynamic. And I think that was the difference in this, was that Gil Vicente was so attacking, they were so keen to overload the box and get players in, but Morenz, just, they weren't doing the same. And, and, and you know, Morenz have good, free, decent attacking players, I think, and similar to Gil Vicente. In Jan, who got the, who won the penalty and then put it away nicely, I, I, he's always impressed me. But that, that's what it came down to, ultimately. But I think Gil Vicente deserved the win. I think their their midfield was stronger, and, and that was uh, that's what put them. That's what separated them, in my, in my opinion. We can't talk about Morens Barney without addressing the rumours that have come through this week of a managerial change, which could see a return of one of Premier League's most notorious figures. Of course, the rumours this week that Joao Henriquez will be sacked, and in comes Lito Vidigal. Uh, the return of the king, if you will. Um, <laughs> how excited are you about the potential of Morrowinds becoming the most shithouse team in the Primera Liga? Because in my opinion, Barney, they're set up absolutely perfect for it. 
Yeah, I, I'm excited to see Lucy Vidigar. I always, I always liked him. I think he had a soft spot. I think the guy was good at what he's, what he's good at. You know, he wasn't ashamed of it. I think um, they're they're in an interesting situation, Morens, because they've got an interesting squad. They've got some quality players, but the the, mm. the style of football is doesn't suit them. I think, and so whether Lucy Vidigal can change that will be interesting to see. Well, I think you know. The thing Morrowinds have to accept now is that they're very much in a relegation battle. And, you know, people kind of laugh at Lito Vidigal coming in this, you know, he's the kind of Portuguese Big Sam, isn't he? I knew you um, were going to say that. I course. knew you were going to say that. Of course. <laughs> because he is. <laughs> but the thing Morrowinds have to accept is that they're not above this, right? They're not better than this. They're firmly in the relegation battle and yeah. they just need to make sure that they don't get relegated this season. It's a real shame because... I was so impressed with them last season. I thought you saw what success they had when they tried to be ambitious under Vasco Ciabra, uh, but they let that all go and now they're in the situation that they're in. So I think in many ways, uh, Lito Vidigal is the manager that they deserve at the moment. Well, look, we're going to have to wrap it up pretty soon, but there are just two games that we quickly want to touch on. We haven't quite got time to discuss them in depth, but two important games. The first, I do just want to mention, I just spoke about Vasco Siabra, and I want to mention his new team, uh, Maritimo. Uh, They won 2-0 on Saturday against Passos. It was Vasco Siabra's first game in their league as their manager. Their first game back at the Estadio de Sporedos after the issues they had with the surface, which was quite nice. And it does feel like the start of something a bit different for Maritimo. You know, a lot of people with a good feeling around the new president, Rui Fontes, I think you spoke about him a few weeks back, Barney. Um, a lot of people suggesting, you know, this guy is someone who's got Maritimo's progression at heart, you know, after previous presidents who perhaps didn't run the club in the best way. And, you know, I've said before that this is a club with a lot of potential. And I hope that under Siabra, this is the start of good things to come because, you know, I just said how much I enjoyed watching him as the Moro ends manager. And if he can give the same kind of boost and ambition to Maritimo, I think that would be fantastic. And, and that's the thing. There's, you know, Joel Tegu's just come back from injury. Players like Jadas, Palagio, I've always been a fan of in midfield. You know, these are players that we have definitely haven't seen the best of. And I think Siabra is, is, is a manager who will be able to, to bring these qualities, well, get, get the best out of them, play a system where their qualities shine and, and, and really come together. And we mentioned some good free kicks this week, Barney. Beltrame, the Italian for Maritimo, definitely make sure you go back and watch that free kick if you haven't already. An absolute stonker. <laughs> um, and just lastly, Barney, uh, Aruka versus Boa Vista, a game that Aruka won 2-1. I'm sure you're going to mention the same thing, but we've got a shout out, Ode Debag, the Palestinian striker we've mentioned a couple of times, scored and assisted in the 2-1 win over Vista. And Aruka, look, they're a team that we thought would really struggle this year, didn't we? You know, we thought they would be probably, of the newly promoted teams, the team that would struggle the most. But they're quietly having a very good season. They're in ninth place and 13th points. They're above people like their opponents, Boa Vista, above the likes of Passos, above Family Cow, Santa Clara. So they're doing really well and having, having a very good season. I think they need a, uh, a bit of attention. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they've got a lot of draws, but, you know, the wins, wins against Tondeo, Famalicão and Bovis, all these teams who are going to be, you know, around where we were expected them to be in the table. And, you know, they're, they're, they're looking good. I think um, I'll also love Anthony's goal on this. I love those runs where it looks like the balls get about to get away from someone and then he just always manages to get a touch. And then, and then I just wrote uh, the Bovis 
the goalkeeper, Ali Reza Beravand, um, just got the world record for the longest throw in a football match. But it was back from that. five years ago in 2016. It wasn't in this game or anything like that. But keep an eye on his throws, I say. <laughs> <laughs> well, correct. congratulations to Ali Reza. One to put on the mantelpiece for sure. Yeah, there's obviously rumours that Jao Pedro Souza might be moving on from Bovis as well. That'll be interesting to, to keep an eye on. I think I like their squad. I think it, there, there's more to come. I think Peter Musa as a striker looks bloody fantastic he got he got gold in this game um so yeah that they need to improve by vista but um yeah yeah i think i would be slightly disappointed if he did move on because they, they did pretty well they started the season pretty well i know we we, we predicted bad things for them but he, they started well and obviously the form has slipped it's been pretty poor recently uh, and then maybe they do need to arrest the situation before they get really dragged into a relegation battle. But I had a soft spot for Joao Pedro Sousa. I liked the way he tried to play football and the things he achieved with Family Cow a couple of years ago were very uh, impressive. So I would have liked to have seen him succeed. But look, if he does move on, uh, we wish him all the best. And I'm sure Bovista will get a, a, a decent replacement in. Not Joao Henriquez, please. <laughs> <laughs> Well, look, we are going to leave it there for this week. And as always, we're just going to leave you with some recommendations for games that we reckon you should watch this weekend. And our decision has been made very easy by some fantastic scheduling. Now, I will say the scheduling for the league can often be very suspect, but they've come up with a fantastic little Friday night double header for Friday the 3rd of December at 7 o'clock, Porto Menendez versus Porto in the Algarve before 9.15, the Classico, the Lisbon Derby, Benfica Sporting. Now that is a double header that's worth clearing your diary for. Make sure you're at home with your feet up. And I've got a feeling at least one of those games will be on UK TV as well. So keep an eye out for that. We'll obviously tweet out if we have uh, any more information about that Friday night. Definitely worth staying in for. I mean, how important is that? I feel like the Lisbon Derby, this is like, you know, we've had, like I said, we've had it's so tight in the league at the moment. This is, I feel like this is the start. This is where we're going to start to see the gaps coming. Um, oh, that, that's a massive game. It's a shame on my birthday, I, you know, the, the the three games on my birthday on Saturday are maybe. Burvis and Reese might maybe might be a, a, a cheeky one, but um, there's Sunday in it, Albert. Gil Vicente family cow for me. I, I love watching Gil Vicente play at the moment. I think if, if people haven't watched them, try and catch a full game because they're, they're, it's a re- they're a really exciting team. Um, and and family cow can be that exciting team as well. So if, if they're on their day, that, that, that could be a, a really good game. Well, I think we're looking at two tasty doubleheaders this weekend. So you've got the Friday one. Saturday, have a day off. Barney's birthday. He's going to be out raving and eating cake. And then back on Sunday for a night in on front of the telly. As Bonnie says, Gil Vicente, Family Cow at six and at 8.30, Braga versus Estoril. Two teams that love playing good football and done very well in the league this year. And in terms of league position, that's going to be vital as well because Braga will be wanting to take those European places off Estoril, who've been, you know, the, the new kids on the block, if you will, and Braga will want to assert their dominance in that game. And then visit um, if you want Monday night. See how many players Bees had put out. How, how about this? If you were if you were Jorge Zeus and you saw that Bees had went out with nine men, wouldn't it be more fun to say, "All right, two of you take a rest. We'll, we'll go out with nine as well and just see it." Work. No, I think I think I would have put myself on. Oh, that's a with ten men. Shout. I would have put I would have put myself on with ten other players just to like protect oh. me, take the pens. <laughs> That's definitely what you should have Well, let's tune into B-Sad versus Vizella to find out if Fernando uh, Pacheco gets himself on the pitch with the flat cap. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, look, on that ridiculous note, we're going to leave it there and say thank you very much for listening to another episode of the Longball Football Podcast. If you enjoyed listening, uh, you could leave us a little review on Apple Podcasts if that's your chosen podcast provider. Uh, you can get in contact with the show. You can find us on Twitter at Longball Football. We're always happy to receive any messages or comments and get involved in any conversation that uh, you want to have. But just need me to say, Barney, thank you very much for listening and we'll see you again next week. Yeah, see you next week.